Bon Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. So our uh, October series is entitled The Invasion. I want to give you guys a quick definition uh, or kind of synopsis on, on invasion. It says, an invasion is a military offensive in which large parts of combatants of one geopolitical entity aggressively enter territory controlled by another such entity, generally with the objective of either conquering, liberating, or reestablishing control or authority over a territory forcing the partition of a country, altering the established government, or gaining concessions from said government, or a combination thereof. An invasion can be the cause of a war, be a part of a larger strategy to end a war, or it can constitute an entire war in itself. Due to the large scale of the operations associated with invasions, they are usually strategic in planning and execution. So that's what an invasion is. As a country, we typically focus on how not to be invaded. That's what our armed forces are doing. They're protecting our borders. They're making sure that uh, enemy combatants do not come in and invade us. As Christians, we typically focus our energy on how not to be invaded by Satan, how not to be invaded by the enemy or demons, how not to be invaded by the world and the things of the world that would like to come into our faith and damage it or destroy it. Right? I found that there is a significant issue in our strategy, though. For all of its good and all of the benefits of protecting ourselves right, from invasion, something still needs to be addressed. We try at all costs to keep the enemy out. We talk about it. We pray about it. We come in and out of church. We ask for help. We say, we got to protect this family. We got to protect this house. We got to protect what God has given us. But often, we also completely deny access to our allies. Because we try so hard to keep the enemy out, the good folks, our allies, the people that we need are also kept from getting to us. Our allies have aid, they have insight, and they have re reinforcements that are vital to our long-term success. We can go out on our own, and for a, a, a short amount of time, we can protect ourselves from being invaded. But if we don't get the resources, if we don't get uh, uh, the strengths and the reinforcement from our allies to come in and help us, we can only survive so long. 
A lot of times what the enemy will do when they surround you, knowing that they can't really invade you, is they'll cut off your supply. So eventually you have to open the gates. When the food runs out, when the water runs out, what do you do then? When we went to Israel, uh, one of the places that we actually missed because we were getting in trouble running around doing stuff we shouldn't have done, they went to, I believe it's called, uh, uh, is it Masada? We'll look it up. I'll get you the definition of the place. But they were, they were surrounded. They were up on a mountain. The, the enemy could not get through the walls, but they cut off the supply. So eventually there was no food. There was no water. And many of them ended up killing themselves before being raped and tortured when the enemy came in. Right? The enemy was, had to stay out, but, the, but the, the allies couldn't get in either to provide any kind of help and support. So this series is going to focus on how we can be and should be and need to be invaded by our allies. As individuals, we ultimately need to be invaded by our, our greatest ally, which is God. See, when the line between how we treat our enemies and how we treat our allies is blurred, right? Nobody can tell the difference because of how you've secluded yourself or tried to protect yourself from being invaded. Nobody can tell, are you keeping the allies out or are you keeping the enemy out, right? When that's the state we find ourselves in, even your allies have to invade. They have to come in another way that may be unexpected. I'll give you an example that hopefully some of us can kind of relate to. There's insects in this world that initially look really scary, right? And we don't want them around us. Then when we realize what they actually do, we start to think about how we need them and we begin to welcome them into our lives. Uh, or maybe we at least think about welcoming them, welcoming them into our lives. I found this information I'm gonna share with you guys from an article and the title of the article is Prepare the Invasion. Thought that was fitting. So the first, I have a picture for you. It's a ladybug. It says, while, while very few can state that they are genuinely afraid of the adorable ladybug, little do people know about how useful this orange-spotted creature is for their garden. Both the adults and the larvae, ladybugs, feed on soft-body insects and aphids, better known as plant lice. So we play with them when we're kids. My daughter runs up to me. But they have a purpose, right? They kill plant lice. This next one is called the hoverfly. The hoverfly is often confused with wasps or bees. The hoverflies feed on aphids like, the li like, the, like to live in tight, hard-to-reach places. They appear early in spring, long before any other helpful insects, and are known to help obtain larger and more beautiful raspberries and strawberries. You like raspberries? You like strawberries? We need to thank the hoverfly for coming in early. The rest of the ones that come and help your garden, they come in late. This is the early bird. Gives us those large strawberries. This next one is called the ground beetle. Now you guys love these, right? You want them to come into your house and into your garden. It says, even though they're not the most pleasant sight in your garden, the ground beetle is definitely an insect you want there. These long-legged and rather large bugs like to feed on insects that are particularly harmful to vegetables. Therefore, if you intend to plant potatoes, cabbage, or tomatoes, don't forget to add a few rocks, logs, and perennial ground covers to attract them. You want good vegetables, you want healthy vegetables, you need some ground beetles around you. Next one, dragonfly. <laughs> oh no, see? Dragonflies are not only helpful to have in the garden because they feed on aphids and other pest bugs, but they're also useful in keeping the mosquito population under control. I've never been, I've never been stung by, by a dragonfly, but the mosquitoes have tore me up. 
So I should be looking for dragonflies saying, invade, right? Come and take care of these mosquitoes. Yeah, we don't want any of them around. Last one is the spider. <laughs> Says here, if you don't have spiders in the flower or vegetable garden, you risk a pest outbreak. While most of us think the worst of them, rest assured that the spiders in your garden will never enter your home and they are not poisonous. In general, they are very likely to invade your garden, particularly if it's populated with various insects. I can't stand spiders, I'll be honest with you. I'm scared of them, Mary kills them in our house. <laughs> like I said, but I'm thinking now, like maybe we need them. Maybe they should invade. Maybe they're, they're grabbing stuff like crickets that I also don't like and killing them for us before they get into the house. So here's the question. What are you afraid of spiritually that you should be welcoming into your life? What are the things that God says, this is something that you need, you just don't see it, you just don't understand it. If you don't have it, you have a problem, you should be welcoming it in, you should be preparing for it to come in, right? God wants to invade your life with a shepherd. God wants to invade your life with discipleship. God wants to invade your life with accountability. God wants to invade your life with a budget like we heard about. God wants to invade your life with the word of God. God wants to bring people into your life that are rough around the edges to invade your space, but ultimately be able to provide something that you couldn't have without them. What are we afraid of? What are, what are the bugs spiritually that you say, no, not in my house? You think you're protecting yourself, right, when you go around spraying the Roundup, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you're not protecting yourself. What you're actually doing is you're making a way for other things to get in that shouldn't be in. While you try to keep the enemy at bay, you also keep your allies at bay. And if you keep your allies at bay, eventually the enemies will come in. Question is not, what are we preventing ourselves from, from being invaded from? The question is, what are we actually still being invaded by because we're unwilling to overcome some of our fears of spiders and beetles and whatever else it is. Because we're afraid of those things, we provide an opportunity for the enemy and other ways to get in. So in this first week of our series, The Invasion, I want to look at the invasion of a country, right? So we're going to look at it kind of at a large scale this morning, not so much on the individual, on a national level, as you saw in the video. A few things happen when a country is invaded. The group that invades begins to change the culture by enforcing their worldview upon all the people, right? You, a country gets invaded, and the country that comes in that does the invading, they begin to enforce their worldview. This is what you can watch and what you can't watch. This is what you say when you go to class. This is what you don't say. You, no, no longer are you going to put your hand over your heart and say the Pledge of Allegiance in schools because we ain't going to do that anymore. There are invasions happening all over the place. And those worldviews get enforced on the people who have been conquered, the people who have been invaded. Politically, socially, religiously, Right? All those things have to change. As a nation, as if you look at what goes on in the world, if, if, a, if a, a Muslim country invades and, and um, uh, conquers a nation, that, that nation becomes a Muslim nation. Religiously, everything changes. It doesn't matter how they grew up. It don't matter what they were comfortable with or what they were doing prior. Invasion changes things, socially, politically. I'm going to show you a, a quick video. I don't know if I'll let it go all the way through, but I just want to show you about 
invasions. And I want you to imagine as this video goes on, just think about all the worldviews that have to be changed and are changing constantly as they come under, as these countries come under uh, new rule or new authority. Go ahead, Zach. The people. The people, right? The people who are coming under new rule, coming under new authority. Imagine what that's going to look like uh, maybe 100 years from now when you look at the whole map of the whole globe. Right? And then think about it all belongs to God. It's all his territory. But who rules and reigns in your life? What authority are you under? Has the kingdom of heaven begun to enforce their worldview or its worldview upon you? You used to be a sovereign nation. Many of us used to consider ourselves Americans first. Right? Many of us used to feel, feel, feel like we were the sovereign nation of Vaughn. I do what I want, when I want, how I want. And then when God comes into your life, does he begin to enforce his will upon your life? Is he now the authority that says what you will and will not do? What's going to be allowed in his nation, in his country? After an invasion, it usually takes at least a generation or two for these things to take root in the hearts of the people, in their minds, right, for it to become their own. If you get invaded and you've been raised for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, it's not going to really take root in your heart. It's not going to really take root in your mind. But your children and your, ground, your grandchildren that are raised under that new rule, it'll be normal to them. It'll be in their hearts. It'll be in their minds. It'll be their ideals of what the world should be like. I'm watching this take place in my children's lives as we speak. Christianity, church, prayer, sacrifice, those are a part of my children's worldview. They were not a part of my worldview growing up. My kids pray. On the way to church this morning, uh, Naomi said, zigzag. I said, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and then Mary said, that's what we do every day on, on, the way to, on the way to school. So Mary reaches across and grabs me. Naomi reaches across and grabs Mary. Not, or Nate reaches across and grabs Naomi. And then Niall in the back reaches up and grabs Nate. And it's zigzag. And one by one, we went through prayer. That's normal and natural to them. It was strange to me. <laughs> I, haven't, I wasn't born into or raised under the, the Lord's regime. But they are. Does that make sense to you this morning? Yes. Naomi told me yesterday, she's eight years old. She told me yesterday that she has a friend, one of her best friends at school right now, that told her, because uh, Naomi told her, hey, I'm a Christian. And this little girl told her at eight years old, oh, I'm not. I'm bad because my parents were born bad and they raised me bad. She's eight years old. And then she actually began to talk about where she comes from and the nation that her family is from. So I sat there, me and Mary, we're in the car just leaving Niles' game, and I'm listening to what she's saying. I'm looking across at Mary like, this is crazy. They're eight years old, and Naomi's talking, number one, about her faith, but number two, this little girl at eight years old, and nobody told her you're not bad. Nobody told her there's hope for you. Nobody told her it doesn't matter how you behave, that Jesus loves you. So you know what I did? I said, Naomi, you got to pray with her this week in school. I told all three of them, I said, Nate, Naomi, here's the challenge for the week. you got to find one of your friends, talk to them about the Lord, but actually pray with them. I said, I don't care if it's a five-second prayer or a five-minute prayer. The stuff that we do in the car ain't just for us. Yeah. Who's going to tell this little eight-year-old girl? Yeah. My daughter is. And then I bribed her. I said, if you do it, tell me. I'll do something for you. <laughs> I said, you guys got to share the gospel. Can't just say that we're Christians. You got to tell people who Jesus is. You got to tell them that they're loved. You got to tell them it doesn't matter where you come from or what your parents have done or what you think, that anything can be changed. And I thought about it. I was like, that, is that hard to put on, a, on my own eight-year-old daughter? 
But then it's like, well, who else is going to do it? Am I going to go to the school and talk to this little girl? <laughs> I don't care if it's hard. She's got to do it. See, many of us who are first-generation believers, or at least first-generation in, in practicing our faith, you know, uh, in more than just word, but actually in deed and, and walking it out, um, we have to develop a strong biblical worldview and embrace the, the, the rule and reign of Christ. And it's hard. Like, you have to put forth a lot of effort. If you're first generation, if you're the first one to be saved in your family, if you're the first one to really start going to church, if you're the first one to deny everything that you heard about when it came to God and church and say, I want a real relationship with him, that's hard. You don't have a point of reference to look back on and lean on and ask somebody about. You have to say, Lord, I'm going to take your word at its word. I'm going to apply these things into my life. I'm going to force myself to go to church because nobody told me I had to growing up. First generation believers, we have a burden upon us that's difficult. It's not like the kids, like I just mentioned, where it's normal and natural to them to be in the house of God, to pray with each other, to repent, to ask for forgiveness, all those kind of things. We were born and raised under a different kingdom with a different set of political and social and religious ideals. So how did the children of God, when they were going to take, uh, invade a nation, how did they do it? If you go back through the Bible, and it does apply, uh, there was invasions that needed to take place. There were, there were nations and areas and ideals and religions and all different types of things. And the Lord says, we're going to go into this land, but we are going to invade the land. We're not just going to walk in and they're going to give it to us and it's going to be holy. We have to go in and overcome whoever is in that land, right? Dispel all of the evil from that place and set it up as a nation that belongs to God. That's not an easy thing to do, not only on, on a national, physical level, but on a spiritual, individual level. It's not easy to overcome those who are already there. It's not easy to overcome what's already in here. It's not easy to overcome what's already in here. So how did they do it? One thing they did for sure is they carried the Ark of the Covenant into that region. We studied the book of Genesis. We studied the book of Exodus. And what did they do? They had the Ark of, Ark of the Covenant with them all the time. They had a specific way that they had to hold it, specific way that they had to carry it. People tried to reach out and touch it to even help because it was going to fall, and they got smoked by the Lord right there on the spot because there, was, there were some actual requirements for the Ark of the Covenant. It represents the presence of God. You don't just get to touch it the way that you want to touch it. He tells you how to come unto him. Amen. He tells you how to humble yourself. He tells you in his scriptures that we, we come in and we raise our hands and worship to him. Not just because we want to do those things. He says, I'm holy. Take your shoes off your feet. Who do you think you are coming up to where I live, my presence, any way that you want? He's a king. Amen? Amen. So in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15, Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Right? You want to invade the land? You want the Lord to take, take territory for you? Moses says, if you don't go with us, if you don't go before us, we ain't going anywhere. We're not going into the promised land. We're not going around the corner. We're not going to the family function. We're not going to the barbecue. We're not going anywhere if you don't go with us. Is that how we walk with God? Holidays are coming up. There's going to be a lot of family functions. How many of you have already said, Lord, if you don't go with us, we ain't going? If you don't go before us, I won't be there. If you don't protect me and provide an opportunity for me to be there and stay in right relationship with you, then that's just somewhere I'm not going to go because I'm under your rule and reign and authority. They took the Ark of the Covenant with them. Listen to what Moses said. Zach, can you turn me up a little bit? I always yell at everybody, but 
I don't want to yell more. There we go. Listen to what Moses says um, at the end of his life. He says this to the children of Israel, to the people of God, and to Joshua, who's going to lead them in all the future invasions. Deuteronomy 31.1. Moses went and spoke the words to Israel. He said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said, and the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua, said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall cause them to inherit it. The Lord... He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. So Moses has this speech that he gives to the children of Israel. Then he has this moment where he speaks into Joshua's life. And what they're talking about is future invasions. The ground that the Lord was going to take, things that were going to be changed and what the process was going to be. And at the end, he says, he gives it to the, the priest that held the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 3, the Lord your God himself crosses over before you and he will destroy these nations from before you and you will dispossess them. God has to go before us. Amen. God has to go before you. He will, he will destroy the nations. He will destroy the things that used to be in your mind. He will destroy the things that used to be in your heart. Many of us who have tried to overcome the things in our mind and the way that we used to think, how's that going for you? I'm just not going to think that anymore. I'm just not going to feel that way anymore. I'm just not going to want those things anymore. I'm not going to like those things anymore. How's that going for you? You know why? Because it doesn't work that way. The Lord has to remove those things. The Lord has to change those things. The Lord has to change your eyes and change your mind. You know how he does that? With his word. He has to go before you in the areas of change and transformation, healing and regeneration. Then you get to dispossess those that used to be there. God says, I've, I've, I've got the victory. I've gone before you. Now here it's yours. Here's your new mind. <laughs> Here's your new heart. Verse 4 said, The Lord will do to them as he did to the uh, Sihon, to the kings of Sihon and Og, and the king of the Amorites in their land when he destroyed them. If you've seen God give you victory in one area, we should be encouraged and expecting him to give you victory in future areas. How many armies, when you see that map changing all those different times, how many armies got victory and they're like, oh, I think we're just going to stop here. No, if it was purple, then you saw the next country go purple, the next country go purple because they expected to win. And the people they were overcoming expected to lose. We as Christians, under the rule and reign of Christ, we should expect to continue to take ground. Amen. It's not enough to say, he healed me of my addiction to marijuana. 
He's got to heal me of all the rest of the addictions. It's not enough to say that he healed me of my addiction to pornography. He has to heal me of every other addiction. It's not enough to say that he gave me a wife. He has to make me a good husband. It's not enough to say that he, he gave me a spouse. I got to become a good father. Like, I want to keep taking ground. The same thing that he did to those other things, I expect him to do to the next thing. If I allow him to continue to invade. Verse 6, he told Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear or be afraid of them. The Lord your God, he goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. We have an ally that will always be an ally. You know, the Bible says that, that we're supposed to love Israel. But as a nation, sometimes we love Israel and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we want to defend them, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we, we, we uh, mobilize and protect them when they're under attack, and other times we'll let the people fire off rockets at them without saying anything. You know what that means? That means as an ally, we are unfaithful sometimes. What God is saying is that he is our ally, and he's always faithful. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Sometimes when, when we come up against enemies that are, are bigger than us, for instance, if one of you comes up against something in your life and I'm supposed to be your ally, there's times where I might say, man, that, that enemy is big. It might not only take out them, but it might take out me too. And the tendency might be to withdraw and say, man, there's no point in both of us going down. <laughs> Moses tells Joshua, we don't, number one, nobody's bigger than God. And number two, he's just always faithful. It doesn't matter what you're up against. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. How encouraging is that? The last one in that scripture, verse 9, Moses wrote in this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. He wanted those that bore the ark, those that went before the armies, those that went before the children of Israel to understand who God was and that they could continue to lead with the presence of God going before. So we look at our lives, how difficult, how difficult it can be when you feel surrounded. You feel surrounded by a world and a culture that's strong and it's anti-God, and it's easy to find ourselves discouraged. There's no, like, reinforcement. It's not like the world is saying, I heard it on the radio today, Thursday, I think it is going to be, bring your Bible to school day. We got to have this, like, huge event and get you know, Christian music stars to get on the radio just to encourage us to tell our kids to take their Bible to school. We live in a world and in a country that's anti-God. Even when I, when I heard this prayer that, that the president, FDR, gave, it's like, man, that would be a miracle to hear that today. Somebody talked for five minutes about God, about Jesus, about faith, about prayer. He got out there and said, the nation wants me to say that we need a specific day of prayer. He said, we need to pray every day. But we don't think we're being invaded. We can't even say Jesus. When's the last time you heard a president say Jesus? See, it just happens to a nation. But please believe me, it can just happen to you as well. It's easy to be discouraged. We find ourselves being influenced by the powers that be instead of being influenced by the king of our hearts. 
We let the world influ influence our views on, on even things like a protest. I'm not gonna get too political to you right now, but these people that are, that are bowing and kneeing, taking a knee during football games, it's not because they hate our country, they hate our flag. What they're saying is what it stands for is not necessarily the reality for all of the citizens, and we will all stand, and even before that reality is changed, if the people who are asking us to stand will also stand for the people who are being abused, which is what Jesus actually said, remember the poor, remember the oppressed. See, but we can easily be influenced by the world and by the world view and the perspectives that people want us to see and that they speak out on these televisions instead of being influenced by the word of God and with the spirit of God. How can you have people who are oppressed and not be heartbroken? How can you have people being abused and killed and not be heartbroken? It's because it depends on who your king is. First Peter 2.11 says, we are sojourners and pilgrims. You know what that means? It means that, yes, I'm an American. And yes, I think it's the greatest nation on the planet. However, I'm a sojourner and a pilgrim, which means I'm passing through America to get to heaven. I'm a sojourner. I'm a pilgrim. I don't, this isn't my home. This isn't my future and eternal nation. That's what it means to be a pilgrim and a sojourner, somebody who is passing through. That's what it says about me and other Christians. Ephesians 2.19 says that we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I got brothers and sisters of every color, creed, and nationality that belong to God. I'm not a foreigner, and you're not a foreigner. We belong, we're, we're, we're citizens of heaven. If you've been invaded... Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. So what is it like to be invaded by the kingdom of God, but live in a held out stronghold of an old regime? Think about that question. God comes and invades your life. You get saved. You now consider yourself a citizen of heaven. You belong to Christ. But where you physically live is still a stronghold of the enemy. Right? Like, I belong to Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. However, I still live on earth, and it's a stronghold of the enemy. He's all over me. He's all around me. He has authority. Like, when a nation gets taken over, like in war, what you end up seeing is the whole, the whole country will wave the white flag, but there'll still be a couple cities where there's people who are still fighting, right, for the old regime. Can you picture it? That's what I feel like oftentimes as a Christian. Man, I belong to God. He owns all this. And I'm a citizen of heaven. But right now, Brea feels like a stronghold of the enemy. Chino feels like a stronghold of the enemy. My kid's school, Butterfield Ranch, that's a stronghold of the enemy. They got to live as citizens of heaven, but physically be in a stronghold of the enemy. So here we are, citizens of heaven, within a city or a place or a sphere that's a stronghold of the enemy. We're doing everything to keep the enemy out of our space, but at the same time, we're not allowing our ally, God, and the things of God in to help us. See, until every knee bows and until every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord, every nation is going to, to a certain degree, be a stronghold of the enemy. It doesn't matter where you go, you might find yourself in a place where like, oh man, they don't, they don't know the Lord here. And they're not, they're not following his rules. 
You ever come across people who are not following the same rules that you're following? You're like, man, I was just really kind and courteous to you and let you get over, and you must not be a citizen of heaven because you cussed me out and gave me the finger and cut me off. <laughs> we have two different rulers, <laughs> two different regimes that we're working with. The old regime wants to maintain authority as long as they can over you and over me, over our minds and over our hearts and over our behaviors. Don't be afraid. That's what he told Joshua. Don't be afraid. You're a citizen of heaven. I don't care if you live in a territory that belongs to the enemy. Last portion of scripture, 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to read a story here. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 8. And this is going to kind of focus on once some ground has been taken, once the Lord has handed over the, uh, the place that's been invaded on your behalf. 2 Kings 6.8 says, The king of Syria was making war against Israel. So someone's trying to invade, someone's trying to take territory. And he, the king of Syria, consulted with his servant saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him. And he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None of us, my lord, O king, but it's Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he's in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. Say prayed. Prayed. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the, the, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And God struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor, this, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was, when they had come to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and there they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and went to their master. So the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army. They went up and besieged Samaria. 
And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. It's an amazing story. The end of that story, uh, when it says that they went to uh, besiege or invade Samaria, they did exactly what I started off by telling you about this morning. When a donkey's head costs that much money, it means that they're so poor and they have no food that they'll pay $1,000 to eat uh, maggot-fested donkey brain. Why? Because they have no allies to protect that nation, right? And they've been surrounded. But when they came to surround Israel, God was on their side. The king, of, the king of Syria is troubled because he's saying, I want to invade your life. I want to invade your territory. I want to take Israel. And it's like every time he goes, Israel's protected. Israel knows he's coming. They don't go the same direction. And the king of Syria is asking, how is this possible? Which one of us is a traitor? I go and I tell you guys, here's our plan. Here's how we're going to attack Israel. And then when we get there, they've evaded us. He says, how is this happening? He says, it's not that we have a traitor, it's that they have God on their side. They have a man named Elisha who talks to God and tells them where to go and where not to go. Amen. Do you have an Elisha on your side on, that tells you where not to go and where to go and when to go to keep you from being invaded? Or because you want the enemy to stay out so bad, you also are keeping your uh, Elisha ally out of your life as well. He said he hears the things that you say in your bedroom, and he tells his people. Is there anybody that hears the schemes of the enemy and then tells you? Verse 13, it said, go and see where he is. And it was told him that he was in Dothan. He sent chariots. He sent armies. He sent everybody to invade Israel. The enemy is sending people to invade you and invade me. So here's the thing. Elisha's sleeping, and it says his servant, right? His disciple wakes up and he looks out. He's like, man, look at all these Syrians. Look at all these Muslims. Look at all these Jehovah's Witnesses. Look at all these godless people that don't care about God and don't want you to pray. Look, they're everywhere. And we look up and say, man, I, I don't want to wear a Christian T-shirt. I don't want to wear a cross. I don't want to post that I'm a Christian on Facebook. I don't want to invite people to church. Why? Because look at all these Syrians. He wakes up and he says, they're everywhere. And he screams to his master, what are we going to do? And Elijah, the man of God, he's just calm. He's collected. He says, son, I don't know what you're so afraid of. There's more with us than there are with them. His worldview, he knew that he was a citizen of heaven who had brothers and sisters and forces beyond anything that could come against them. So it gave him peace Amen. in the midst of enemy territory. What does he pray for? He prays for his own brother, the young man, to have his eyes open. He's like, God, let him see. And then when he sees, he sees chariots of fire all around him. Is that how you feel when you walk out into the world? That yes, there is enemies. Yes, the Syrians are all around you. But you walk around with chariots of fire, angels sent from heaven to protect you and to make sure that you don't lose any territory and that you're not invaded. Amen. That's how I'm starting to feel. This last week has been, as, as Gary said about a, a tough week for him, it's been a very tough week for me spiritually. Last Saturday, I married a couple. Sunday, I thought we had an amazing service here. Um, on Friday, I was at a funeral, um, and it was just 200-plus people. And just, I preached like I preached to you guys, right, and gave an altar call. And you know how many people gave their life to the Lord, at least visibly by raising their hand like we do in our church? Not one. 
So I left that place and somebody, somebody messaged me that was there and just said, hey, that was a powerful message and I'm glad that you were there. I hope lives were touched and it had to be encouraging to, to be able to share the gospel with that many people. I responded back to him. I said, it was sobering. It was sobering. I wouldn't say encouraging. I appreciate you reaching out to me, but it was sobering. And here's why. I went to a wedding on last Saturday and the same thing, these people were unsuspecting. They did not expect to come into a wedding and hear about Jesus. They did not expect to come into to a place where people were going to be united in marriage and hear about how this is God's idea. And without him, it will fail and it will not produce life. It'll produce death unless you make him the center of it. They weren't ready. And I could see it in their eyes. I could see it in the congregation's eyes. It's not a congregation. It's a group of people that wanted to show up for a wedding, have a few drinks, have a few laughs and get a free meal. They were unsuspecting. And then I said on Friday at the funeral, the same thing. People wanted to come in and have some tears and pour out a little bit of liquor. They were unsuspecting that we were going to talk about heaven and hell, life and death, salvation of the soul. So it was sobering to be in those two environments. And I said the most sobering thing is the fact that I was in church on Sunday and in church on Wednesday and thinking to myself, these people got to hear the word because they have no idea they're at a wedding. They don't know who Jesus is. These people on a Friday have no idea that, that this death is coming for all of them and they need to make a decision about Jesus. But here I am with the church and we're not as strong as we could be. We're not as prepared as we need to be. Yeah. We're vulnerable to invasion. Yeah. And I'm thinking how lost these people are and how lost these people are. And I'm thinking, we can't be vulnerable to invasion. we got to be strong. I can't tell my daughter to be afraid of the enemy or something happening to you. i got to tell you, you got chariots of fire around you. Go tell this other eight-year-old girl that Jesus loves her. Yeah. He said, open his eyes, Lord, that he could see. Last thing, verse 23, listen to what happens. They come to invade. Elisha says, blind them. God blinds them. They think they're where Israel is so that they can invade. They hear a man's voice that says, you're not in the right place, but I'll take you. He walks them out of his territory, out of his area, to another city. And when they get there, he says, okay, Lord, open their eyes. And now they're, they're, now they're surrounded by the believers. They're surrounded by the king of Israel. And the king of Israel, listen, he's a king, but what does he do? He asks the, the prophet what to do. Right? You may be the king of your house, but you need a man of God to speak into your life. You may be the queen of your house, but you need a woman of God to speak into your life that's hearing from God. The king says to the prophet, what should I do? Should I kill him? We've got him surrounded. And what does Elijah say? No, don't kill him. They're already prisoners of war. Bless them. Feed them take care of them, send them back to their master, and then they could choose who they want to serve. Isn't that what Joshua says later? Choose for yourself who you want to serve. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Imagine a soldier being caught, a prisoner of war. He's about to be murdered. They say, what do I do with him? He says, okay, feed him, give him a meal, send him back to his master. When he gets back to his master, he's got to be thinking, who do I want my master to be? This one that sends me off to war, that gets me caught, that I have no power, or the one that has chariots of fire, can blind me, can give me sight, feed me, and give me freedom to make my own decision. And you know what it said? They never came back to attack Israel again. They went attacking other weak nations that they can invade. Are you a weak nation ready to be invaded? Or are you strong listening to the word of God, the power of God, moving with chariots of fire as a citizen of God, of his kingdom? Which are you? The invasion of a country. The ark goes before, 
The confidence comes in the people who have the land delivered to them. And then in order to maintain your sovereignty as a child of God and as a nation of God, you have to be dependent upon God's word. We have to let him invade. If that's not what our lives look like, it can be. I'm telling you, this week, I saw the, the greatest joy for many people, a wedding, and the greatest sorrow for many people, a funeral. And the funeral was of the, the eighth of nine children. So one of the youngest in the whole family. I met the whole family. So they're heartbroken and they're, they're exposed. They're hurting. But I shared the scripture with them that says, we mourn, but we, we don't mourn as those that have no hope. I told them, listen, Jesus weeps with you, but he ain't weeping for your daughter because she's gone already. Her time came, her time went, and there's no more tears in heaven being shed for her. She had a decision to make in the land of the living. He weeps for us who are refusing to make a decision. That's tough to tell 200 people in a family that's hurting. But the truth is what we need, amen? Amen. 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 Bow your heads for just a second. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> I just want to pray quickly because uh, it's a communion Sunday for us. <clears throat> and communion, I'll get to that in a second. Before I do, just a quick question. We talk about invasion and we talk about uh, who is the king of your life? Who is the, uh, the authority under which you live? Who says what's right and wrong, where you will and will not go, sets the curfew, sets the direction? Who is that person in your life? Many of us, even as Americans, we don't, we don't really look at the president as the authority in our life. We don't really look at the, uh, the law enforcement or the military as uh, a force to keep us in line or to keep us um, where we need to be. Most of us consider ourselves to be the authority of our lives. We're the king. We make the decisions, we make up our minds, we get to say what will and will not happen with our lives. So this morning, the question is, will you allow Jesus to invade your nation? Will you allow Jesus to take authority? Will you allow Jesus to become the one who makes all the decisions for you about what's right and about what's wrong? And it's just a decision that has to be made Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But those who have willingly laid down their lives and said, Lord, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. This old mind and this old heart, I want it changed. I want it transformed. I want it renewed. They get saved. You get your citizenship in heaven. And at the end of this life, you get to enter into that one. But you got to make a decision. This morning, if you've never done that, you're a lot like the Syrian army. You find yourself in a place this morning where the enemy says death. They've been caught. They've been wrong. They're a sinner. Kill them. But the grace of God says, man, I offer you a meal. I offer you rest. I offer you peace and I offer you freedom to go where you want. Go back to Syria Go back to your king. Go back to your own way of thinking. Go back to running your own life and making your own decisions. You're free to do that. Or you can bow before our king. He's a good king. He's a merciful king. He's a loving king. You can bow before him and be saved. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, between you and the Lord, 
If you don't know Jesus, but you want to, if you're not saved, but you want to, if you've never said, I am a sinner and I want to be saved, it's a very simple decision, but it's the most important decision. It'll change your life. You might feel something this morning, you might feel something tomorrow, but I promise you this, if you choose Jesus, what he says is he will send his Holy Spirit into your heart to confirm that you're saved. That it wasn't just an emotional thing, it wasn't just you were sitting in a church, it wasn't just you heard some things about God. He'll say, I will come live inside of your heart and you'll know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you've been forgiven for all your sins. You don't have to trust friends or family or a pastor. He says, I'll come and live inside of you and you will know with 100% confidence that you're saved and that I'm real and that you now belong to me. So that's the decision. If you want to stay with the Lord from this day forward and not go back to Syria, you've never given your life to Jesus, just raise your hand. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to start over. I want a new king. I want a new nation. Jesus, invade my space. Jesus, invade my heart. Anybody this morning, just raise your hand before we move on. Oh, it's the most important thing. I was at a funeral yesterday or Friday, and I couldn't tell the family that I believe their daughter's in heaven. I couldn't say it. What I said was, her time had come and gone. She will be resurrected. All of us will be resurrected, either to stand condemned in judgment or to be welcomed into heaven. I don't want to say that about anybody who's here today. You got to make a decision. Anybody else, before we move on? Hey, man, I see your hand, young man. It's the most important thing, sir. That's all it takes <laughs> to be able to say, I know where you're going. Anybody else, before we move? Anybody else? Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So for communion, communion is where all the citizens of heaven, no matter where we are on the planet, we're sojourning through America. We're sojourning through Africa. We're sojourning through uh, Europe. We're, we're sojourning through Mexico and Central America. We're pilgrims all over the world. But in communion, we all come together and we say, oh, but our king. We're citizens of heaven. And all over the world, we break this bread. All over the world, we drink this cup. Why? Because we're united through Christ. Jesus says, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood that's shed for you for the remission of sins. He says, every time you do this, remember me. Take it all the way in that it's not just an external thing that you hear or see, but it's inside of you that you know that you belong to me. Let me permeate, providing strength from within. Take me all the way in. Take me in. Take me in. Lord, this morning, as we take the cup and as we... Take the bread that represents your body. Remind us that we do that as citizens of heaven. Remind us that you're our king who died for us. Remind us that you come to live and dwell with inside of us. And touch your people, Lord. Touch your people. Invade us. We don't get to tell you where to go once you're inside because you have invaded us and you now have all rule, reign, and authority, God. I'm going to release you to, to receive communion and worship team. It's okay. I actually have a song that I'm going to ask them to play. And it's going to be, um, 
It's a little bit more upbeat and up-tempo than we're used to for communion. But I heard this song, and it just really touched me because it's very simple, but what she says is, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. So as you receive communion, like I said, it might be a little bit more upbeat, but take time to pray and think about it. And think about Elisha and think about the children of Israel. Think about the young man standing next to him. When he was afraid, I could hear Elijah saying what this song says. Man, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by God. I've been invaded, and the Lord protects his territory. Lord, we thank you this morning. We honor you. We love you. We ask that you would continue to invade us. Continue to protect us, everything that you've given unto us, Lord. We take your body, we take your blood, Lord God, because you offered it for us. That we could be healed, that we could be forgiven, that we could be changed and transformed. We thank you for communion and we thank you this morning for all of our other brothers and sisters abroad. Wherever they may be, wherever they find themselves this morning, remind them that they have an ally in us. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.